bogies appear to be heading uh, directly at us. I'm coming port, steady up uh, 150 for 30 degree offset, 50 miles. 49 miles now, speed 450, Angels 9, I'm going down to 3. Crossing back over. Roger. Roger that, 30 degree offset now. Bogey's uh, heading 340 speed, 500, let's accelerate. Okay, they look like they're at the 9,000 okay. feet now. Roger, bogey's have jinked back into us now, let's come starboard 30 degrees the other side. Hello, you're listening to the podcast. So there I was, which is how all great aviation tales begin. All of them. Episode 43. Episode 43. Love it. The Honeypot Mission. Oh, yeah. What a great story. We had Chaz on for his third visit, and the time went too quick because his stories mostly impactful, always entertaining. There's some tragedy and hijinks, hilarity. <laughs> terror <laughs> yes especially the terror part oh my gosh he had an amazing naval aviation career and he got all of it i mean he got the whole experience uh, some you don't want and a, a lot you do absolutely and we learned that there's a difference between cherubs and angels among other things oh boy. <laughs> Is there they almost learned the hard way literally yeah. not the way you ever want to learn absolutely not Hey, you know what? I think we should get out of the way and let Chaz tell his stories because he's more entertaining than we are. Sit back, relax, and don't sit on the ejection seat handle. Don't sit on it! Don't do it! On the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly. So there I was. Which is how all great aviation tales begin. This is Fig coming to you from Kansas City the day before the Kansas City Chiefs are going to play the, uh, I don't know, some team from the East Coast in the Super Bowl. The Beagles. <laughs> With my co host, Repeat. Hello, Repeat. Hello, Fig. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. Glad you're joining us again today. Thank you, everybody who's sharing this show. The growth has been fun and astounding, and we are privileged to bring on some amazing stories, storytellers, raconteurs, and a great raconteur has returned to join with us once again. Welcome back, Chaz. Welcome, Chaz. Hey, guys. Good to see you guys. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. So after the last show we recorded together, you and I were chatting on the phone, and you told me a story. I'm like, oh, I can't believe you didn't talk about that one. So I'm going to ask you to open with that one, and then we'll just, you know, kind of freewheel it from there and see where it is we wind up going. But uh, I, I think, yeah, you were, you were crossing the pond, and biological needs took over, and people had to get up and move to the back <laughs> of the aircraft. And someone got left behind. <laughs> and someone else almost all got left behind. <laughs> That's enough of a yeah. tease. All yours, sir. Well, yeah, that, that ties into a whole string of events that actually happened. I look back over 51 years of flying. There was about 18 months of my life that uh, kind of defined where I learned some boundaries and started a 
reel it all back in. This is one of those events where uh, first cruise, you know, finished the rag, got night called on a boat. We can circle back to that. There's some stuff there worth thinking about. Go through workups and we deploy and they decided to send five S3s across the pond to keep the deck space free on the way over. And so we're going to fly from Cecil, Florida, Jacksonville to Bermuda, to the Azores, to Rota, Spain. And we're going to spend the night in the Azores on the way over. So we leave, you know, about four in the morning heading to Bermuda. We leave Bermuda and we're going across and we're 39,000 in a very loose five ship formation. And, uh, my, I'm in the right seat. My left seater was my roommate, you know, one of my roommates in a six-man bunker aboard ship. He finally decides he needs to take a break, a little relief. And uh, they had a wonderful device called Piddle Pack. So you could grab the Piddle Pack and the S3 had enough room back in the computer bay right behind the back seaters that you could kind of stand up kind of in there and take care <laughs> of your business. So he went back and was uh, taking care of his business. And when he went back, he told the backseater, one of the NFOs, and for those that don't know, an NFO is a naval flight officer. Thank you. And uh, these guys run the uh, computer systems. I have a lot to do with the sensors and uh, weapon systems. They fly in the front seat of the S3, the right seat at times, and then the back seat where the uh, acoustic uh, stuff we use to chase submarines was at. So, uh anyway, he sends the NFO up front, the uh, TACO up front, and he gets... Uh, in the uh, left seat, which had been vacated, and I'm sitting in the right seat, and so I'm like, "Dude, do you want to, you want to fly?" And he goes, "Oh yeah." So the airplane had altitude hold, uh, control stick steering mode on the on the uh, autopilot, so you could hook it up, and you could use the stick to turn left and right, and all that. It just hold the altitude, and so you're thinking, "Okay, that's cool. That that'd be easy." So I set that up for him, <laughs> and uh, we're there for about ten minutes, and my buddy's in the back. What, BS what could go me. wrong? <laughs> Well, what goes wrong is about that time is when I decided I needed some relief. So uh, I went ahead and got out of my seat and, uh, you know, saved the old ejection seat, unstrapped and uh, climbed into the back, got my pedal pack and uh, uh, did my thing. And my, my left seat are still back there yakking with the uh, enlisted sensor operator, the Senso, and they're laughing and scratching and I go back and crawl back up in my seat. I look out the uh, windscreen and um, there are no airplanes in sight. <laughs> and I'm like looking what? left, right, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a problem. And uh, I finally, uh, I'm like, where'd they go? And my, uh, yeah, yeah, you got it big. So <laughs> where'd they go? And uh, my, my buddy over there in the left seat kind of leans forward and he twists his helmet, starts looking up through the windscreen up. And that's when I looked at the altimeter and we lost about uh, 12,000 or so feet. What? And apparently, yeah, I think he at some point decided he didn't need altitude hold. And uh, oh my all God. I could see up above was the contrails of the other four airplanes. Oh my so, gosh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun moment, and we had no navigation <laughs> system. Our inertia was down, so uh, we started climbing, the long climb up to catch them, and by the time we got to altitude, we were probably, you know, 15 miles behind them. Oh, shit. And just chasing their contrails, and yeah, we, we did finally catch up to them on the descent into the Azores. <laughs> At one point, the XO, who was the lead in the flight, he's back there, he's like... Uh, 
TC Chaz, you guys back there? We haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. We're right behind you. Oh, yeah. We're right on your tail. <laughs> no. So, oh, okay. Uh, uh, that, that, that's, that sparked several questions I got, Chaz. Okay. Um, so, S3, um, excuse me for my ignorance. Uh, two sets of controls in the left and the right. I mean, you yes. can fly from either seat. Yes. Okay. And, yes. uh, yeah. and uh, you, were got, you guys were dash five in the formation? At that point, yes. they were then. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's something right there. Wow. And so did you, well, uh, I can imagine the conversation uh, that took place when you realized that you are not anywhere where you're supposed to be. It was like, what the F are you doing? What, what, what did you do? Where are we? Actually, as I recall it, it was more laughter. It was more like, Oh, look at this. This is this will be interesting. And uh, and my uh, other cedar that was in the back who came forward for the climb back to altitude, you know, he he was laughing. I mean, so nobody got too spun up. We okay. just uh, rejoined the formation and went about our business. You know, uh that uh, that triggered a memory. Um uh, one of my very first uh crossings of the Atlantic in in the C130. I was brand new to the C130, you know. I had gotten out of the Marine Corps and went to work for this airline and then I stumbled in the guard job. I was coming back from Europe. And uh you know, of course we're down low in a C130, so we're on a, some kind of random route. And we're going along and we're given position reports uh on HF and uh the navigator about 3 hours into this overwater flight goes uh uh oh and so we, everybody, everybody in the cockpit turned around to look at the navigator and he goes, um, we're, uh, we're not where we think we are. He had punched in a lat long wrong. So we were like 50 or 60 miles completely South or North of the course that we've been reporting we were on. Uh, so at that point we decided the best course of action was just take a heading to rejoin, uh, the route and just, you know, not say a word. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. And, and no, those the, controllers uh, in the North Atlantic think that's so funny, you know, because they, they don't have you on radar. Yeah, they have yeah. to believe you're telling them where you are. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they think it's hilarious. I guess before the ADS uh, ADS world entered our existence. <laughs> yeah, 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 you can't get away with that. No. Well, uh, the gentleman that was in that uh, incident there, that uh, the backseater, in the following week, I got another one of those life... Uh, defining events and he was fortunate enough to be along on that ride and uh, when we got to spain the five airplanes we had probably the most fun i've had in my entire life flying airplanes because in those days spain had very little radar they had radar up around madrid and they had radar over by barcelona and they had ra radar down around valencia and other than that pretty much unmonitored so we got AAA maps of uh, Spain to find all the castles. And we started designing low-level routes using castles as turn points. So, uh, you know, that was pretty fun. And then what we do is go out in two, two plane formations and we'd split up and go do our low levels. And then we would rendezvous over Sierra Nevada Peak, which is the tallest peak in Spain down in the southeast corner of Spain. It's about 11,300 foot peak, as I recall. Being, you know, Navy pilots, you never just rendezvous. You try to get the jump on the other guys. Of course. So that's the game that had been going on. I got very cagey 
And I figured out, well, they always looking above and behind, you know, for you to come at them from there. So what happens if instead of doing that, we come in low and then pop out from underneath them and just pop up behind them and go, here we are, you know, <laughs> right. nice to see you. And, and I did it a couple of days and I had a wingman, you know, each time and it worked really good. We flew right over the Alhambra fortress in uh, Granada, Spain, beautiful place where the Moor empire was fly right over that go up this canyon miles and uh, just hug in the bottom of the canyon. And you'd end up right at the top of Sierra Nevada Peak, which was a snow-capped thing. And you'd look up and of course our other two airplanes were just silhouetted up there about 5,000 feet above us orbiting. Yeah. And two days in a row, I pulled it off beautifully. Well, hi guys, we're here. And uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. Well, the third day I had the same guy that was with me on the formation that, you know, yeah. Barely kicked the altitude hold off. Uh, a, a super nice guy, great guy, call sign fast Brad. And uh, fast is in the right seat. And and as luck would have it, the guy that was on my wing is the guy that ended up getting me hired at the cargo company that you guys know I work for. Okay. So I end up doing my low level thing again this day and apparently hadn't thought much about the weather situation. <laughs> So we're coming up through there and his call sign was Corsair. He's on my right wing. And as we're coming up, climbing all at once, I noticed my airspeed was starting to roll back as I was holding the terrain. I hadn't had that problem before. I'd been able to just blast on up. So things weren't working just right. Got a little bit nervous. Finally decided this ain't working and there was no room to turn around and come out of the canyon. So just kind of started, went max and started climbing. And, uh, you know, took it right to optimum and kept climbing. And uh, my Mingman picked it up a few minutes before, a few seconds. I don't know how long before me. He was a couple hundred feet higher. So we're climbing, climbing, climbing. And I'm looking at the cornice of snow up above me in front, thinking this ain't looking very good. Yeah, you know the feeling when, when you realize you put yourself in a situation that may not oh, work out. Yeah, unfortunately, I do know that feeling, Chaz. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. not me. It's never happened to me, but I hear uh, it's bad. <laughs> you believe yeah, me, don't you? I, I, yeah. Yeah, of course we do. Wow. Somehow uh, no, pretty much everybody that's got a set of gold wings on has written these checks. Anyway, long story short, it ain't going good. And we're getting up there and I'm at Optimum, got full power on the jet and I'm holding it for all she's got. I look over to my right and my buddy Fast is over there. And this is back in the days of those little 110 cameras, little skinny little cameras. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. out the window just snapping pictures as fast as he can. And he's over there going, Chaz, this is so cool. I've never been this close. And over on the other seat, I'm over here about to have a bowel movement. You know, it's just like, and uh, we cleared the cornice by about 30 feet. Oh, and uh, went across the top of the mountain and dived into a valley on the other side. And accelerated out and got back on track. Uh, yeah. Later, when I checked the uh, weather, it turned out on this particular day, we had about 70 knots of uh, tailwind. On the other oh. days, we had had a headwind coming up the valley. And uh, oh. by golly, that makes a difference. That, that'll get your attention. Yeah. Weird. Oh, shit. Thusly defined as a box canyon. Yes, yes. We did see some nice castles while we were doing those things. But yeah, another lesson learned there. Another... Maybe I'll check things like that out next time I decide to go low leveling in the mountains. Two days later, 
we finally got an overhead mission to go aboard the ship. So this is literally the beginning of my first cruise. I've been through the workups. Obviously, we'd been operating in the Caribbean, getting our calls and, you know, ORE and all those things done. And we'd done the translet, the carriers coming across, the carriers uh, about to uh, get within range. And uh, we get notification with a knock on the door early in the morning. We've got about 45 minutes to get to the intelligence module for a briefing. And they're going to send three aircraft out to do a mission and then go aboard ship. So uh, we do, and we scramble, and we go. It is a very, very sensitive TS up mission. Our good friends who are so busy out in Ukraine right now were busy back in those days too. They were basically had a satellite tracking ship out in the Atlantic and we were doing some testing of some systems involving a space shuttle and some ground-based things. And our mission was to go out and obstruct the view, if you will, to basically go out and get on top of the ship during an eight-minute window and make sure that their sensors were really not uh, fully... Nice. Nice. Provide the umbrella. So we get out there, and the things that happen on this, uh, you know, when I left off last time we were talking, I was talking about how 30 years later, a lot of these things kind of came into focus with the death of a friend. This is kind of where this ties all in to that. We're out there, we do our eight-minute window, and one of the weird, weird things that happens on the taxi out, we had full crew. We had backseaters. We had the two front seaters and the two backseaters. This mission did not require sensor operators in the back. We didn't need AS. It wasn't an ASW mission. So we, being the wise butts that we were, decided why in the world should we end these guys' party on the beach a couple of days before the ship's actually going to pull in here? So we stopped literally on the taxi out off the ramp and let our backseaters get out of the airplane. (laughs) We kept their bags to deliver them aboard for them. And so we're being good guys, right? We're taking care of our... Take care yeah. of our buddies. Why would they need you know, to be? You sure. guys get that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they weren't required. Well, it works out. There's two of them on the planet today that wouldn't have been on the planet if that hadn't happened. So oh. uh, we let those two guys out, you know, of each airplane. So six of them got out of the airplanes, out of the three airplanes. We went on out and did our mission, had the eight, eight minute or eight uh, minute window. We had to be on top of the ship. So we're down at 200 foot, you know, just going back and forth across into kind of mess with their sensors and uh, in the middle of that e2 sees another contact and uh, the flight lead is sent to investigate and so um you guys know i mean out in the ocean uh once you get separated out in the ocean getting rejoined is a process it can be a trick Uh, yeah 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 so and if you recall it was just air to air attack in you'd set your attack end air to air and you could see the distance to the other guy Yep. And we had a series of turns we would do to finally get the distance to start coming down. Right. So again, the same guy that was on my wing during the uh, Canyon episode, the same guy that got me hired at the cargo carrier later is dash three of this flight of which I'm in the okay. right seat again of dash two and uh, dash one has now left us to go investigate. We finish our eight minute window. And so we go looking for them. So we're trying to rendezvous with them while we're trying to rendezvous an F4 from the carrier uh, spots us and thumps us. So uh, you guys, and you guys, of course, can explain what a thump is. Yeah. Uh, you want to do that repeat? Yeah, explain sure. a thump? 
He passed pretty close aboard, and you got some weak turbulence as he went by uh, in yeah, excess of Mach yeah. 1. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, they basically come right underneath you and then just pitch up right in front of you so you get a full facial of the top of an F4. Uh, that hurt. So, it, you know, it's a nice little wake up, and, you, and oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you hit the turbulence, and kabam, you know, it's good. It's good stuff. <laughs> so this F4 thumps us. So we're like, oh, well, at least we know we're pretty close to the carrier because F4 didn't have enough fuel to get too That's far That's right. You can't carrier. be too far away. <laughs> yeah. So we're feeling good about that. Shortly thereafter, we still hadn't spotted the flight lead for the rendezvous. And we were earlier had been at 200 feet. I'd gone ahead and climbed up to 2,000. Uh, so we'd gone up a little higher for the rendezvous. Finally, you know, looked down and at about one o'clock, uh, six, seven miles out, best guess, see the other airplane, see the flight leader. So called him and said, hey, you know, go ahead and bring it port and go ahead and climb to Angels 2. We're at your seven. Yeah. And um, he came back, keyed the mic and said, uh, Roger that we're elevating. And I'm looking at him when this happened and before the word elevating finished, the plane just exploded and uh, went into the water, uh, disintegrated. Oh my God. It was a lot. I mean, all at once out of nowhere. And we, right. at first my brain was like, no, that's not, that didn't just happen. And then I'm thinking it was the F4 that thumped us. I'm like, oh, no, that crazy bastard just flew into the water. And then we flew over and went over the wreckage, uh, dropped down to 200 and went over the wreckage. And when I saw what was floating, uh, what was left, uh, there was no doubt uh, that it was our flight leader. Oh, my God. And so we went ahead and did the first trap aboard uh, to begin my first cruise uh, wow. of that event. You know, it's funny. We were talking, not funny, but I made my peace with it. We were yeah. talking in the last one about how these things percolate in your brain. Uh, this is one of those events I had kind of buried and turned off. It's not a great memory. No. And the death of my friend 30 years later brought this one back. And when it came back, it kind of came back in my dreams. Wow. That was weird. I'd never had that happen in my life. And then as we talked about before, that's what led me to get involved in the union and try to give back was this whole sequence of events. And that was day one of that cruise. That's not the way you want to start a cruise, Chaz. Yeah, it was, it was got real pretty quick. Uh, you know, those were two great guys. They obviously gave their lives up in service and, uh, what happened? We don't know. I don't think we know to this day. The Russians apparently did witness it. And there were statements later on when the taunt occurred from the Russians about what they witnessed. And as I was relayed to me, it, it did sound like there was some kind of mechanical failure with the aircraft that caused it. So, um, I don't know. I just don't know. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Oh, there, there's no other, uh, or there, how many other S3s just exploded? And it wasn't, I don't think the explosion so much. I think what happened was something in the tail, the elevator must've come apart and it pitched him straight into the water. Oh yeah. And okay. so when he hit the water, it was the explosion that okay. I, that I okay. saw. And, wow. um, but, uh, and, and to, to further backfill, I guess, cause I, I want to point these things out because especially for younger guys, maybe listening, going to do the military thing that, you know, this is the reality sometimes of this stuff. And uh, you have to make peace with it. It took me a long time. But prior to that, when I left off uh, our last episode, I had lost a good friend on his first night trap aboard the America. 
what I didn't get to is probably the most important part of that story. The next day after that, uh, and this was at the end of the rag, this is right before I'm going to go get my night call in the rag okay. and get released to the fleet. And I'm on track to go to VS-24 on the Nimitz at this point. But the next morning, they had C-9s flying everybody from the East Coast back to the West Coast to the base in San Diego. And so we'd packed up all of our gear and we're in civvies to catch the C-9 and go back. And as I'm getting ready to board, the senior member of the debt comes up and kind of grabs me by the elbow and says, hey, we got to, we're going to need you to stick behind. And I'm like, yes, sir. You know, and so... Uh, Turns out that they had recovered um, some stuff, personal effects, uh, from the guys that ejected uh, that night into the side of the America and were killed. Um, so they had bagged them up in a body bag type thing. Yeah, and they wanted you to escort. They basically asked me to uh, to take them back to the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was to be in the back of an S3 uh, that was flying back one of the planes from the debt. So um, I didn't have flight gear. My flight gear was already packed. And so I told him, I said, my stuff's on the C-9. He goes, don't worry about it. We'll get you gear. And so it ends up, this all gets thrown together kind of hastily. And I get a torso harness and a helmet and an oxygen mask handed to me. S3 didn't wear a G-suit, didn't need one. And um, I'm wearing corduroys and a sweater. <laughs> with a torso harness oh my god and uh, the other guy they grabbed they grabbed two of us because you have to balance the ejection seats in that airplane okay if you have one empty seat and you were to eject the empty seat would beat the full seat out and would kill the guy in the full seat so oh geez yeah, yeah and you don't want to know how they learned that but uh, uh -huh. the uh <laughs> yeah I can you imagine. know yeah. you know how they talk about they write warnings in blood and blood yep. uh, yeah that's, that's, fact, yeah, that's right? one of those yeah yeah Anyway, I get uh, tasked to take them back, and they get a guy to set the right seat. I'm in the left back seat. Two instructor pilots in the front. Uh, I knew the two instructor pilots. I'd flown with them, both really good guys. And off we go. Well, we stop in Tinker, uh, of course, to grab a Tinker burger sure. and uh, get some gas. Everything's going fine. We refuel, and we started climbing out of Tinker. Going through about 30,000 feet, I'm in the back kind of half awake just because there's not a whole lot to do back there except, yeah. you know, hang out. Right. And, well, kind of like riding in a passenger airliner, I guess. Yeah. Uh, without the entertainment system. But the uh, <laughs> going through 30,000 feet, there's an explosion. To me, it felt like a baseball bat hit me in the chest. And mucus and everything comes blowing out of my nose i can't get my breath i'm gasping yeah, you had a rapid decompression and i'm like i don't know what's going on the jet's doing quite a bit of maneuvering and i'm trying to breathe well my oxygen mask is in its dust cover hanging off my torso <laughs> of course it wear a mask right where you need it <laughs> just right where you need it the whole time <laughs> yes oh my gosh first thought is breathe so you're gasping and there's no air we had explosive decompression Finally, I had the presence of mind to go ahead and get the oxygen mask out of the bag and try and put it on. And by that time, I was tunneling down and starting to lose sight and uh, got the oxygen mask out, put it on and nothing. Well, of course, there's nothing because I hadn't turned the freaking oxygen mask on at the console. So it takes a few more seconds for the brain to finally connect all the dots. And while I'm thinking about that, I turned and looked at the guy sitting next to me. And I don't, sadly, I don't even remember his name and that's wrong. He is struggling, same thing. He's over there gasping and struggling. 
And then I looked at him and we made eye contact and he got very calm. He sat up straight in his ejection seat. He turned and looked at me and his eyes just rolled up in the top of his head and he slumped out of the seat. Oh my God. I'm like, oh shit. And I'm looking at the front. All I can see is the right seater slumped over. I'm not sure, but I don't see him moving. The jet's doing all this stuff. I finally get the presence of mind to turn the oxygen on. And as you guys know, as soon as you get a hit of it, relief is pretty instantaneous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I get the oxygen, I'm breathing. And so then I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on, but I'm afraid they're going to eject. So I start screaming at the top of my lungs, don't eject, don't eject, don't eject. And I unstrap and I climb over and flip the uh, my partner's oxygen feed on and grab his mask and put it on him and then climb back in my seat. Sometime later, things slowed down, got a little quieter. I heard landing gear drop and thought, okay, this is going to end okay. Next thing I know, we're touching down, and, and the back of the S3 has a little bitty window that's about eight or 10 inches. Yeah. And as I'm looking out the window as we touch down, I see uh, pavers and steamrollers go flashing by the window. And wow. I'm like, oh, So you're either on an interstate or a closed runway? <laughs> Somewhere. It's <laughs> <Yes>. my guess. <laughs> and uh, we come rolling to a stop, and the left seater is called Simon's Jet, a uh, uh, commander. And he goes, uh, Chuck, you're the junior man here. I think I need you to jump out there and see if you can calm down these citizens. You know, like, what? what? He goes, you'll see. And uh, so I uh, popped the hatch and that, that, that airplane, you had to climb kind of down out of the belly. Uh, the hatch was kind of down on the side. And I come, I climb around and look and there's a lot of angry citizens. Mistakes were made. Yeah. <laughs> and it uh, turned out we'd landed at a place called Clinton Sherman in Oklahoma and they were it was an outlying field for Altus Air Base that the uh, Air Force used as a bounce field uh-huh. they were converting it to a space shuttle divert field so they were adding 3,000 foot of runway to it and uh, I think we were the first people to land on the uh, runway edition it wasn't quite done you know so <laughs> <laughs> as you guys can imagine the things are a little screwed up at this point so we ended up going to a Ramada Inn in beautiful Elk City, Oklahoma. Nice. Oh, my gosh. And I spent the next two nights in the Ramada Inn with the bag full of the effects that have been recovered from the ejection on the bed uh, adjacent to me. Um, They had told us, and this is young and dumb again, they told us, don't call home. The squadron will notify everybody, you know, so don't call. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I was on a different set of orders because I was flying a tanker. I wasn't part of the CQ debt. So the phone tree lit up. The wives are all talking to each other. I didn't call home. I followed orders. So my wife never got a call. So by the time I did finally appear at about 1130 or midnight, two nights later, she was convinced I was one of the ones that had died oh, over shit. there because she hadn't got a call. Right. So that was an interesting, uh, interesting moment. Anyway, went to bed, got everything calmed down. And about six the next morning, I get a call from the squadron and they go, hey, we need you in here as quick as you can get here. I go, what? They go, yeah, we need you and bring your gear. And I'm like, right to that. And they go, yeah, you're going back to, uh, going back to Oklahoma. And I'm like, okay. Uh-oh. So they needed somebody who had seen the, <laughs> yeah, they needed somebody who had seen the construction. So oh, they got tasked an instructor who was actually from Elk City, Oklahoma. We flew back and landed and we went back to the Ramada M where I'd spent a couple of days with my buddy's effects. This is the good part of the story. We're there for about a week while they had to fly a, a windshield in because the windshield had exploded, it delaminated, and blew okay, out that, the seal yeah, that was by the windshield. Be a question. That was 
Yeah. And that's what got the angry citizens off being angry because I showed them the windshield and they went, oh, yeah, okay, oh, I get that. Okay. All right. So that was good. But anyway, the week or so I'm there, the guy I went there with two best high school buddies were working in the oil fields and it was a dry county. His dad was an old Navy pilot, owned a clothing store on the town square in Elk City. His dad was a winemaker. When I got there, the first thing his dad asked me, he goes, uh, you drink? <laughs> I go, yes, sir, I drink. And he goes, you drink wine? I go, yes, sir, I drink wine. He goes, come with me. So we go down to the basement in their house and the basement has like thousands of bottles of wine. He has been making wine since World War II ended. <laughs> and, and he doesn't have anyone to drink with. So he's happy I'm there. So he says, grab about a half dozen bottles and I'll get a half dozen. So oh. we go up and we set all these bottles on the kitchen table. He goes, just start opening them. He said, one or two of them is bound to be drinkable. Oh, and uh, so that's how my drinkable. life in Oak City began. <laughs> well, the, the <laughs> truck didn't too, go blind. So, the, you know, it's. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no. That's true. It might explain everything that came after that we've already talked about. Right. But the, uh, the, right the other thing that was funny while I was there is two high school pals working in the oil fields were trying to invent a machine to pull pipe off the derricks as they take pipe in and out as they change bit sizes and all that. Right. And that's a big problem on the derricks. It takes a lot of time. So these guys had a flatbed truck with a bunch of pulleys and stuff, and they figured out how to connect it to the derrick and would grab the pipe and bring it over and then lay it on the ground. So my entertainment while I was stuck in Elk City was take a lawn chair and a cooler full of beer out to the rigs with these guys while they were working on their machine and suntan and watch them try to pull pipe off the oil derricks. So that was fun. And uh, <laughs> Elk City entertainment. And that only becomes meaningful because about three years later, I'm at Hilton Head at a Marriott on a vacation. And we get there, I'm kind of wrung out. So I decided to go down to the hot tub and take a breather. And there's two couples in the hot tub and i'm thinking when i got in i go man they look familiar and then i thought well this is kind of lifestyles the rich and famous maybe that's some actors or something i've seen on tv i don't know sure. and then finally one of the ladies looks over at me and she goes uh you a navy pilot oh boy. i said yes ma'am and she <laughs> goes you ever been to elk city oklahoma <laughs> i said she said it i said yes ma'am i have and they started laughing well, guess what? The two boys invented the pipe pulling deal, and they were over there on their private jet enjoying a weekend in, uh, in Elk City or in a weekend in Hilton Head. So, because uh, they got they it good. working. Oh, my God. <laughs> they gosh. got it working. That's great. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, that, that, then uh, I go back after all that. I've got to go do my night call. So, my first night carrier landings. And now we're on the hills of watching my friend get killed on his first night carrier landing and all this stuff that happened in Elk City. And I promptly go out and bust because I am over controlling the jet like a lunatic and no fear or anything going on. You know, it ain't, it, it is definitely not pretty. It was a good legitimate bust. I mean, there, nobody in their right mind would have turned me loose with a jet uh, <laughs> after that performance. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it all ends right here. I don't know. Maybe this is where the show comes to a stop. So I get sent to a board. As I'm going, I'm waiting for to be called in. The two guys that were in the front of that plane that had the windshield go went in and explained to the board what had happened. That I'd seen my friend get killed. That I had been with his effects when we got the windshield 
uh, spent a couple of days in a hotel room with all, I mean, they explained it. So when I went in, it was a non-event. Gotcha. They just set me up for a recall. So they just stated you needed some time to recage your gyros and you'd be good to go. Yeah. That, that was it. The recall is only interesting, Pete, for one uh, kind of subtle fact. Because of the disqual, I got moved back a month. So I got pulled out of the Nimitz VS-24 and I got rolled to the Forestall VS-30. That's fine. That worked out great because a great bunch of people I was with there. But I go for this second run at the qual. My wingman is a gentleman who many years later at the cargo company where I worked, attempted to kill the crew and uh, hijack the airplane. Oh my gosh. And, uh, with the hammer? Yeah. The guy with the hammer? Yeah. 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 He, oh, wait, he was so he was your bird. wingman uh, when you went to recall? Yes. Yes. <sighs> unbelievable yes and so you can imagine uh he had issues back then uh, the idea that things ended the way they ended with him probably shouldn't have been totally surprising you know i mean i didn't have any issues with him and we flew the airplane and did our job and all that i was shocked years later when i saw him show up in our crew room at the cargo operator right, right. you know it kind of connected all the dots and then of course the events that happened later and uh with that so it's just wow. weird how life kind of lines up all this crazy stuff. I look back on it, you know, and like I said, just this little sequence of 50 something years of flying airplanes, starting with the PSA crash in my neighborhood to the death right. of my friend, to all of this stuff, to the death of my flight leader, uh, that all took place in about a one year window. That's a lot. It was a lot. And I think what I did is what most young guys do is I uh, did my best to fart it off and act like that's just what happens. You know, you signed up and it's certainly not like being in the infantry and you know what those guys go through. So, I mean, right. I just did my best to minimize it. It was minimized for about 30 years. And then it came rushing back. All about 30 once. years later, all these memories <laughs> came back. Oh my God. Yeah. You say that, Chaz, that it comes back like that or, or that it's not as up close. Granted, in combat, it's probably more frequent. But I think that the naval aviators in particular are far more exposed to death, particularly in peacetime. And while it happens far more up close and personal with the grunts in the fighting holes, it doesn't happen nearly as often in peacetime training. This is aviation, military aviation is a dangerous business. Um, and, yeah. and that's why, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's why some of it is so funny because if you didn't treat it with humor, uh, you'd go start raving mad. That's, that's, that's a fact. You lose your sense of humor. You got, you got a big problem. And you guys know the culture and I mean, we tend to get pretty cynical and, uh, sure. and I, I know it drives my wife crazy at times because what I think is humor is not humorous to her. So, <laughs> uh, and I know it comes <laughs> right from that world you know it's just how we kind of minimize the risk and uh talked about it all and i look back on that and in the days that didn't make it uh they're still alive very much so uh, i think of them i think of them every day the things i do the service that i've tried to perform for my fellow pilots has been driven by that it's doing what i think they would want to do if they were here it's the kind of people i think they were and i've tried to live up to that for them and so doing i get to live up to it for myself too so it's uh it's been a win-win and it goes back to being with great people and you guys i know know exactly what i'm talking about yeah and that's and, a uh, that's an outstanding way to to honor that uh chaz and yeah, i'm glad you verbalized that 
Absolutely. Well, uh, now the, the, the lighthearted parts of the story probably we ought to hustle on to because there uh, you go. <laughs> those cru- I had three cruises and, and had some amazing adventures with some of these same people. Um, we did climb the Great Pyramids of Giza and watch sunset from uh, near the top of the center pyramid oh, wow. of Giza when during the Camp David Peace Accord, we were the second U.S. ship to pull into Alexandria, Egypt and went down there. So that was pretty fun pretty fun adventure i i the guys i did that with are still on the planet and i don't think any one of us will ever think any other event in our life quite measured up to that day and that was another one of those great spur of the moment decisions we were out there riding camels and we learned about camel riding you can get a camel ride for five dollars you know not too bad right <laughs> yeah why yeah why what do you think yeah. it costs to get off a camel oh well, there you go <laughs> boom 20 yeah. yeah. And yeah. if the camel's trained to snap at you, if you try to get off without him setting you down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we learned camel, camel, uh, ethics that day. And then we were looking at that. Kind of like an international cab ride. You got to learn to pre-negotiate the price before you get in. Sounds like <laughs> that or a, or a police officer in Mexico. We understand. Yeah. So, yeah. But we got over by the pyramid and decided we probably ought to climb that thing. So we did. And I uh, went up there and uh, that was back in the days of Frisbees. I had a Frisbee in my backpack. So I got a picture somewhere of me tossing a Frisbee off the top, off the Great Pyramid of Giza. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that, yeah, that was one of the good ones uh, out there. I think back to all of that stuff and, you know, the liberty pulling into the ports, the life, the flying. I mean, it was all extreme. Everything was extreme. Everything for a kid that grew up, you know, in the cornfields sure. was like, wow. I mean, you know, can you believe you're doing this? The funniest part of the pyramid climb was uh, we come down, and when we got down, there were several Bedouin, uh, the camel guys, mm-hmm. waiting on us, and of course wanted to charge us uh, for climbing on the pyramid. Yeah, we promptly uh, farted them off, and we went down. Well, I didn't know, and you don't know from the photos you, unless you look carefully. But the Sphinx, the Sphinx, is that was actually buried. So they excavated the Sphinx. So we're hiking back okay. down the hill and we're coming up on the Sphinx. We can see the top of it sticking out of the excavation. And our driver's over on the other side of the Sphinx losing his mind because where are we? He needs to take us back to Alexandria about three hours away. He's yelling and honking. So we decide we're going to climb down through the excavation across the feet of the Sphinx, oh. climb up the other side and get to our driver. Another good command decision. So we all jumped the fence, climbed down through the rocks. Well, guess what? The area of the excavation is caves. And there are, I don't know how many people living down there, but all at once they have these dopey Americans stumbling right through their settlement. It it, it was a moment. And my roommate at the time, or he was going to be my roommate, my next two cruises, who owns a big uh, company now making electronic countermeasure equipment. He's a great guy. He gets a little panicked by all these people coming out of the dark at us. So he goes for the solution. So he pulls his wallet out to get some money. And I'm like, oh, my God, no. So I just grab the money from him and throw the money. And then we start scrambling up the hill. And anyway, that was that was another. <laughs> and you survived. <laughs> we survived. We survived. We found out crossing the Sphinx costs money, just like getting off a camel. These are negotiable events. Yeah, well, lessons learned. Yeah. Hey, uh, real, real quick, uh, so something that I, you know, I, I never really got until I saw it in person uh, is how close the pyramids are to the city. I mean, they're right there, just on the other side of the river, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. 
I mean, how big they are. I think that's what, when I started climbing it, you realize the scale. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it seems like whenever you see them in a movie or something, uh, you're only seeing them from one direction. So it looks like they're out in the middle of nowhere when actually they are tucked up right next to the Cairo. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, Giza's I was, right it, there. Yep. And I think, and this, this really disappointed me, you know, I've seen all the pictures of the sinks. I'm pretty sure it's sitting across the street from a pizza hut. Oh, it wasn't in those days. Yeah, no, it probably is. <laughs> there, was, there was a village, yeah. but no, yeah. there was no pizza huts back then. Yeah, no, my, my understanding is there's about, a pizza uh, hut right across the street from the Sphinx now. It's like, yeah, it's nice. pretty disappointing. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. But uh, but no, back then, the Russians had just pulled out. Uh, Anwar Sadat had asked them to politely leave and asked us to politely come. So uh, they were actually, in those days, very happy to see us. So we were... We were really treated very well, and uh, it was like I said, we had a lot of fun while we were there. And that's one of those peace agreements that's actually held up. Uh, you know, the Israelis and the Egyptians have kind of managed to live side by side. Yeah. So, kind of glad to have taken part in some of that. The uh, the other one uh, from that time frame, uh, a cruise or so later, if you guys recall the events when uh, we shot down a couple of uh, Libyan fitters. Uh, yeah, down below the line of death in the Gulf oh, yeah. of Sidra, uh, was involved in those missions. That actually was a weird, whole weird thing. But uh, good old uh, Gaddafi had declared the line of death that was all now Libyan airspace, which happened to include parts of Sicily and some other things. So you can think maybe some people didn't go along too well with that idea. Right. So NATO rallied and decided to have a freedom of the seas exercise. And so we went down there with like 60 warships. I mean, it looked like something out of World War II. It was, it was dramatic. It was an armada. Two carriers. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It had the Nimitz there in the Forestall. And the S3s being the great weapon system that we were, and with all the wonderful defensive capability we possessed, uh, none, we were designated to be the bait. So they basically set out courses for us to fly that were like three miles outside the SAM operational range of their SAM sites. And we were supposed to go fly at 300 knots, 10,000 feet around these tracks just to hang big strawberries yeah. out there to try and encourage them to uh, come, come visit. Come, come, come shoot did. us. Yeah. Yeah. Over the two days leading up to the actual shoot down, I flew some of these missions. The deal was the E-2s and the AWACS would sit back and watch all this. And when they actually launched somebody on us, we would be given a coded vector for the heading we were supposed to escape on. And we'd just roll over, dive for the deck, go down in the waves, and then follow that heading. And it would take us into a SAM shooting ship's coverage so that they could cover us. So that was fun. The day that the shooting actually took place, by that point, I think we had run 154 intercepts. It had been a very busy couple of days. Yeah, yeah. It's two F-14s off of the Nimitz actually took the shot, but one of my squadron mates was the was the bait, and and he he did the dive for the deck, and these guys came out, and the F-14s intercepted them, and for whatever reason they fired a heat-seeking missile from head-on, which oh. did just what you'd expect a heat seeker to do from head-on, uh, yeah. nothing, and then uh, yeah. basically both of them got shot down. Uh, shortly thereafter and both of them survived and both of them ended up in the drink on their uh, handheld radios uh, in english asking for anyone please pick us up yeah and yeah. they were and, saying uh, that in english huh <laughs> yeah 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 
Please be so kind to pick us out of the water, please. <laughs> please. We yeah. don't like it here. In fact, if you search on YouTube for F-14 shoot down Libyan MiGs, uh, the, the audio from that is still there to this day. Easy, easy to find and yeah. listen to. And yeah. uh, you can hear the tension in their voices as they keep turning back in on them. It's like, you know, they, we're, yeah. we turn away from them and they kept turning back in. It's like, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, the Dash 2 and that was an acquaintance of mine, and I got to hear the story from him over multiple beers, and uh, it's quite a tale. Yeah. Yeah, they, they offered them five or six chances to, uh, you know, you could, you don't have to do this. <laughs> He's yeah. turning it into me yeah, again. Well, <laughs> all right. Things get a little crazy, as we know. Things are in full circle, and we're back into kind of crazy stuff with these guys. Uh, that was the height of the Cold War. You know, things were always happening there. The sure. Russians were always in our face. And uh, one of the funny missions, uh, I'll call it funny, missions that we used to do was there were there were two boats. Uh, there was one called the Udaloy that was a command ship. It's where the Russian admiral that ran their Black Sea Fleet operated from, and he operated in the Mediterranean. And he had a boat that was his escort called the Kuban. Uh, well, the Kuban, interestingly enough, had a... Um, a contingent of uh, a large contingent of ladies aboard weird there were not many places for soviet uh, ships to pull into port in the mediterranean so what they would do is they would come to the kuban and anchor up and uh, ship over and have a little liberty on the kuban so one of the intel missions we used to run was to fly down and it was a honey trap because the submarines would come in and submarines are hard to get intelligence on. And what we needed was the sound signatures of their turbines, of their gear mechanisms. Those are the kinds of things we wanted. So we would go over and drop sensors when our submarines would be over there shipping over and having a little fun with the ladies. <laughs> and so we'd come out of the Eastern Med and we'd find an airliner going across the Med and kind of get up behind them and try to kind of hide. And then when we get over around Sicily, we drop down and go down. It was night. These were night missions. Mm -hmm. So we go down to 400 feet. And as we would get within a couple hundred miles, we would calibrate our altimetry, turn off everything, every transmitter, your radar altimeter, everything. So there was no signal that could have possibly detected our presence. And then we'd fly in there and drop, drop sensors. And one of the funny episodes didn't happen to me, but one of the funny episodes from one of our fellow Hoover drivers the sauna buoy went into the water and the groups were in whale boats going back and forth from the submarines to the cabine. They saw it hit. So they went over and grabbed it. And then they took it back to the submarine and took it down into the submarine. No. It was transmitting the entire time. It was like, <laughs> thank you. A fairly epic story. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Okay, I, I got you, you. You just triggered us uh, several questions I have to ask. Uh, so you're down at 400 feet at night. You're not wearing, I'm assuming you didn't say anything about night vision goggles. This was before night vision goggles, right? We did have infrared. We did have an infrared, a ship mounted infrared system. So we did have that. Okay, so you, you were using yeah, that and basically. You watched it on a screen. We okay. don't fly with it, it was just used to take pictures. All right. Well, so uh, so you're down at night over the water, 400 feet. Everything's turned off. No radar altimeter. You're using strictly your barometric altimeter. Yes. Oh, yes. Shit. Yeah, because the radar nuts. altimeter puts out a signal. Yeah. What are you freaking? So. What are you crazy? Got a bullshit flying yeah, with well, that? Apparently. <laughs> Do you know that's dangerous? Apparently. Let, let, 
Later on, I found out how crazy it was. I know, right? I was in a war game, (laughs) won a war game with you lot because there was, I think it was the NASA. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. One of the assault ships. Right. And he was out off the eastern end of Crete. The forest all was off the western end of Crete. And we were going to have war games and they were supposed to start at 0500 uh, the next morning. And of course, you know how it goes, you know, win if you will, lose if you must. If you got beat, you didn't yeah. cheat, you weren't trying. Right. So we started considerably before five. So I got sent out about uh, one in the morning to start looking for him. So we did the same <laughs> thing where we shut everything down and there was knee two sitting 100, 150 miles away, giving us vectors. So I spent the whole night at 400 feet doing vectors, looking for surface contacts with an E2, giving us vectors to them. We got everything shut off so we don't, you know, give our position away. But right at first light, we're in the ragged bottoms of some clouds. We're up in the Aegean Sea. And uh, a little known fact to most Americans, but there's like 6,000 islands in the Aegean Sea. As the light's coming, I'm kind of looking out the front windscreen through the clouds as they're breaking. And all at once, I see rocks. Oh, shit. I'm like, oh, shit. So I wrap the jet up and start pulling, and it's rocks, 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 and finally see the nose of the cliff, and I see more rocks in the distance. So at that point where I see the nose of the cliff, I went wings level and just pulled up to try and climb and get out of this. Oh, shit. And I finally called the E2, and I'm like, hey, (laughs) what are we doing here? You know, you just about got (laughs) us whacked. He goes, that shouldn't be a problem. And I go, what do you mean it shouldn't be a problem? He goes, well, you're you're at uh, Angels 4. And I said, no, no, no. All night we've been at Cherubs 4. Yeah. So <laughs> all night ass. long we've been getting vectors. Oh, my gosh. 4,000 feet. <laughs> For the love of Pete. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, you would have hit, hit a rock. You would have, hey, what, what's a mount go doing up on the <laughs> lights out? Yeah. That so is... there you go. That's That's the stuff. Thanks. So, so yeah, Thanks, just to be clear, in case anyone is wondering, so angels is thousands of feet, cherubs is hundreds of feet. Oh, yes, it, yeah. it, they do make a difference. Slightly different. Could be important to know. Yeah, and those islands apparently that we somehow missed all night, so that was good. Oh, that wasn't your time. <laughs> well, it is better to be lucky than good. We know that on many occasions. Every time I say, every- but when your luck runs out, you better be good. So that's <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, look, you guys flew Harrier, so I figure like you, anybody that can understand what can go wrong will go wrong. You guys oh, have yeah. to know that. So sure. <laughs> I look back on it all. Like I said, those few years of life, everything outside of that seems pretty calm. I could go on and on and on with stories like this, and I don't want to do that because it'll get old. Jazz, tell me. Again, how many hours in the S3 did you have? Oh, what I have in the S3, about 2,000, I think, maybe something like that. Maybe less, I don't know. I think I ended up with 276 traps altogether. I had the perfectly good timing that in one three-and-a-half-year sea tour, I got three cruises. Wow, wow. Whereas my friends on a couple of the other boats got one cruise in three-and-a-half years, so... Uh, we, we're, our timing was perfect. Well, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it did, did but, that perfect. Well, time. one story I should share to wrap up the carrier part of my life was how I got out of there. There you go. Okay. This one's one I have to tell just because it has to be told. I was the admin officer in the squadron on my third cruise department head. 
And I get a call about a week or two before we're to deploy from the detailer. You guys are, are obviously know who detailers are. Right. If Just so everyone else knows, that's the guy that assigns you to your next job in the Navy, in the Marine Corps. We call them monitors. But yeah, they were your they were the ones who were your career monitor, your career detailer. They gave you your next set of orders. And sometimes they could be your best friend or your worst enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And they got some stuff pretty good. Well, he's calling to verify the rotation of all the officers in the squadron. So he's calling the admin officer. I answer the phone, you know, VS-30 admin, and he didn't apparently catch my name when I answered the phone. And so he says, oh, great, admin, that's who I need to talk to. You know, I just want to make sure we got the rotation dates right on all your guys. So he starts running down the list. Well, he's down in the list and he calls out my name. And I'm being a wise ass. So well, that did beat the, <laughs> right. The cruise was set to be in the Mediterranean for about four months. And then it was supposed to go through the ditch, the Suez uh -huh. to the Indian ocean for another three or four months. And I kind of knew when that was going to happen. I, I basically the detailer, you know, gave my date as the end of the cruise after the Indian ocean time. And I corrected him. I said, Oh no, no, no. He's rotating on this given week in July or whatever, August. <laughs> Uh, which was when we were scheduled to go through the ditch. And the guy goes, oh, okay, I'll make the change. Oh, he didn't catch it. Then I just went with it. And uh, next thing you know, I was somehow on a cod leaving the uh, ship right before the boys went through the uh, ditch to the Indian Ocean and uh, on my way to Pensacola to be a flight instructor <laughs> down there. So uh, that was... Don, suckers! <laughs> <laughs> and nobody's the wiser until now. Oh, no, they were. Trust me. The next morning, the message board, I get into the squadron early to get the messages and put them on the board for the XO and Skipper. And my new orders are on the board. And I'm like, oh, shit, this ain't uh, going to go well. And I hear the XO in the other room when he reads it. Jazz, what's this bullshit? This ain't going to stand. You know, keep your bags packed. And I'm like, yes, sir. I don't know how that happened, sir. And, and he was a great guy. And I go in there and he says, he tells the secretary, get that detail. We need to sort this out. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be in so much trouble. They couldn't get through like detailers famously were known for. You could never get through. The phone was busy all day. Right. At the end of the day, he sticks his head in my office. He goes, you know what? Screw you. I don't want to go to the I.O. with you anyway. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so that was my that was my great crime uh, of well my played. time there. But uh, <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. There you Your go. Exit back so to that's. Teach. Where, and where'd you but, go teach? Uh, Were you at Pensacola or did you go down to Pensacola VT10 training okay. backseaters oh, to yeah. an AC, ACM low levels instruments aerobatics? Oh, that's good stuff. All yeah, that good, good stuff. It's fun, but uh, no, I I mean I, you know you guys know the life and all of it. I I look back. I mean even when I came off there, we caught it off that ship. I this is a story I guess should be told. In those times, Crete uh, was having a very strong communist uh, insurgency that was going on they'd had bombings um there, there was a lot going on uh, you know like I said cold war was pretty ugly so we fly off on the cod there were three officers one of them is one of my squadron mates a backseater who was uh actually i think the naval academy's first space uh, systems graduate he went on to nasa uh the other guy was off the ship's company and then we had about a dozen enlisted troops with us we land in crete at suda bay which i had never yeah. been to before yeah. and as the back gantry opens on the cod uh the sunlight comes and here come two guys walking up the gantry 
and as your eyes adjusted, you know, here's this Navy captain and he's the CO of the base. And he said, okay, we got to get a few things straight. We got some problems here. We had a sailor had his throat slit last night. Uh, that's the third one in the last two weeks. Oh, things are tense here. So what I'm telling you right now is I want you guys off the streets because we were staying in town. They didn't have quarters on the base there. Oh shit. He goes, I want you off the streets before dark. And I'm like, right. Okay. And we've been on a ship for a couple of months. I mean, yeah. we've been on pretty extended sea time. You're so saying to yourself, yeah, good luck sound. with that there, Captain. <laughs> yeah. Didn't seem that fun. We end up going down to the little port village. And as we'd go in and try to go to restaurants, basically the owners would come put their hand in our chest and push us out. And said, no, you can't come in. You can't come in. And they were afraid. They were afraid if they served us that they'd be bombed. Okay. And, uh, you know, we were pretty clueless about how bad things had gotten there. Finally, one of them, we went to the guys, he was pushing us out. He leaned over and goes, come around to the back. I'm happy to serve you. And uh, he said, give me, give me 30 minutes, you know? And so we did. So we go around to the back and he opens it. And this couldn't have been nicer. He takes us in. He had to get the clients out of his restaurant. Mm -hmm. He takes us in, he feeds us. He gives us a couple of bottles of wine. He apologizes for what's going on there and you know all this so then we yeah. we come out and it's dark we have now violated our orders and we start walking back to the hotel where we're supposed to stay as we're going back we're having a pretty good time uh we hear a bar so we decide we ought to probably have a nightcap you know things are going pretty good right and uh so we go in and as soon as we get in here why not i mean you know you gotta have a final final nobody's stabbed yet i'm finishing my sea tour this is it this is the swan song and i'm meeting the wife in naples italy the next day when we fly over there and we're going to take 30 days leave and tour europe so all good so we go in and sit down i'm in the middle my squatter mates on the left and then the other officers on the right and as soon as we get there the most striking woman in the place comes in sits down next to my squatter mate and she strikes up a very vibrant conversation which starts with something like ronald reagan's an asshole my buddy decides to engage that discussion i'm not <laughs> going to call that the most prudent choice ever next thing you know everybody in the place is on their feet and starting to crowd around us and it ain't looking that good to me no. so i turned to the dude next to me goes we got to get out of here i go yeah we do i go i got to get my buddy's attention because she was really hot and heavy with this chick arguing politics and finally, I threw the money on the bar. And I said, when I throw the money on the bar, you head for the door and I'll grab him. So we made the play. A couple of guys tried to block the door. We went through and went out. And we go down the street. The bar unfolds, comes out. Everybody's yelling. Next thing you know, they come down. The hotel had actually had all the street level windows boarded up because they'd had protests there because American troops were staying there. Oh, shit. And yeah i ended up with the police there the next morning we drank our wine by the way that we were given that night and uh, somehow we managed the three officers not the troops the three officers managed to miss the bus to the of airport course. to catch our ride to naples the next morning missing movement is that a problem <laughs> if you miss movement i miss wake ship? up the next morning <laughs> it's very quiet the next morning and i'm thinking it's too quiet So I get up and go out. Everybody's gone. The guy down the front doesn't speak English. And he finally, we're, we need to get a taxi. So we get a taxi. He doesn't speak English. I'm trying to explain we need to get to the naval base. Uh, okay. 
So he takes off driving. The next thing I know, we're over the top of Crete going down the south no. side of Crete, which no. I don't remember. Yeah, don't remember doing that on the drive over. And then we're on a gravel road. And then we're down to doing switchbacks on some gravel road in the outback no. of Crete. And we come around a corner and a bunch of guys walk out of the bush with automatic weapons and come over to the car and we got to get out of the car. And I don't know who these people are. And the next thing is you got to go with us. So we go walking down the road. My boys are standing back next to the car. I go with them. We go down and go off the road. And I assume this is where I'm going to catch one in the back. And as we walk in, there's a sandbagged fortification in the trees and go, and there's troops in the uniform. Uh-huh. And I go walking over there and they're Greek troops and a guy hands me a field phone and I answer the field phone and it's, uh, this guy goes, hello, Yank, <laughs> what you doing? And what are you- like, I am so confused. And yeah, finally right. he goes, where are you trying to go? And I said, we're trying to get to the Naval Air Station. He goes, oh, they made a mistake. They thought you meant the Naval Base. And I go, there's a Naval Base here? <laughs> and he one. goes, yeah, put them back on. So I put them on. We come around the next corner. There's concertina wire across the road. They pull the wire back. We drive through. We go down. Turns out there is actually a naval base on the south side of Crete that I didn't even know was there. Sub pins built by the Nazis in World War II that the Greeks now operate as a base. Uh The guy on the phone was the captain of a supply ship that was in there. He was an Aussie. And... He comes down the gangway while we're there and explain to him, he speaks Greek. So he explains to the driver, we get finally get there. We missed our flight, by the way. Of course. And uh, while we're there, now you guys being 130 background, we're standing there after we've missed our flight. My wife's over in Italy waiting. Now I've really gooned up. Oh, and yeah. uh, the radio crackles and ops and there's a C-130 air guard, C-130 overhead. And they go, do you guys need us to stop in? Do you need a pickup of anything? We're just, you know, traveling from Athens across to uh, Naples. And they, the trooper on the radio is going, no, sir, we just launched a flight. I jumped over the counter, went back, said, let me have that. <laughs> Got the microphone, said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. There's three people here that need a ride. And uh, went outside, looked up, and here comes this 130 doing an assault, assault-style landing. Oh, that's And great. he comes in and grabs us and got a ride to Naples. So there you go. That, well, that's Awesome. Yeah, oh is that though. And the air guard came to the rescue. How about that? That is uh, some incredible good luck. Yeah, that kind of gets you up to a short duty VT-10. And, and and to be honest, VT-10 was pretty quiet. You know, it was fun. It was chill. It was at that point where you're trying to decide, am I going to stay in and do my career? Or am I going to gonna bail? The one thing, you know, that stands out there that's worth uh, remarking on was... Uh, I was the coach of the squadron softball team. We had a great softball team. We won the championships and all that. And uh, I I, I point this out in memory of somebody who who was a really good guy. I I played shortstop. Uh, My first baseman was a guy named Tom McGinnis. Stout was his call sign. He was a surgrad. He'd come out of the training command. They didn't have a fleet seat. So he came over to be an instructor. Tommy played first base for me. We had a great time and all that. Well, years later, Tom went on to fly F-14s with the Navy after he finished a surgrad tour. And years later, he called me and wanted to know how the airline world was. By that time, I was at the cargo company and life was good. So I think I gave him a pretty good endorsement for life in the airlines. And this was back still when you kind of had to do it by the time you were 32, 33, or you were not going to get a job. Right. But anyway, Tommy ultimately got out and he went to work for American Airlines Tom is the first officer on the first plane into the World Trade Center. Oh, for the love of Pete. 
that morning when I saw that thing and the weirdest, and I am not a superstitious person, but when I saw that on the news that morning, that hole in the side of that building, and of course the newscasters were talking like it was light twin or whatever. Yeah, and right. I'm looking at that hole, realizing it definitely isn't. And I knew in my gut that morning that I knew that I'd just lost a friend. Yeah. And it's a, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I, and that, that was so weird. And it was, so, you know, a few days before they released the names, but yeah, God bless Tom and his family. Cause uh, just a, a great guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, sadly uh, we're at the end of our time to be together today. That's a sad note, but an uplifting note to end it because so many lost friends and so many have given so much. Let me take this opportunity to thank you, Chuck, for your service. We kind of say that almost glibly these days, but it's a big deal. And people, like you stated earlier in the show, have written some checks. And unfortunately, those checks get cashed every now and then. So thank you for your service. Thank you for your family sacrifice. All those years, birthdays missed, that sort of thing, anniversaries. It isn't easy. It's a burden on everybody involved. So thank you for your service. Yeah, thanks, Jazz. Oh, you bet. Like I said, I, I got the good end of the deal. I came home. Right? You did. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. We and so we, uh, we can only live by honoring those who, who didn't make it home and keep their stories alive and live the best life we can in gratitude to the sacrifice that they've given for us. want to also take this minute to thank Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab, who's given us the technical know-how to put this show together so we can share these stories with everybody. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I want to remind people that we have uh, a glossary page over it. So there I was.us. So if we've mentioned a term that you don't understand, it's probably up there. If it's not, shoot Fig an email at Fig at so there I was.us or me at repeat at so there I was.us. Tell us the term you heard and you want a definition and, and we'll get it up there. That's how several of those terms are up there. People have written and asked. Our sponsor, RobinsBirdBrainDesigns.com does custom laser etching on almost anything that's less than a couple inches thick so you know your ipad your laptop coasters with your squadron logo your call sign with air, aircraft instruments you name it reach out to robinsbirdbraindesigns.com and talk with robin and get whatever it is you want customized done we're almost there we're getting more listeners uh, every week if you would go to rumble so there i was dot us slash rumble Sign up there and follow us, subscribe to our page, and once we get to 100, we no longer have to pay to bring you these stories. We can live stream for free, and that would be a big help to us. Everybody. That would be awesome. Yeah. So do that now. <laughs> yeah, do it. Just do it. Just do it. And as you can hear in the background, the Dos Gringos, go listen to their music. It is fantastic. They have graciously been on the show with us. Go listen to those shows. You'll have fun. And go listen to their music. It's available on Amazon, Spotify, and they have, how do we say it, Fig? They've given the Air Force a good name. <laughs> and their songs will make you laugh. Absolutely. <laughs> their songs are awesome. Good music, fun music, and, yeah. and it's a scream. And finally, thanks to all of you, our audience, who are sharing this show with friends and family and people that you know have an interest in any kind of aviation story. So there I was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. And you are sharing it. Thank you. Please continue to do so. We couldn't be more blessed to have a better audience.
there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. But we knew there was no way. Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Like the song says, it's over. Stay safe and check six. Good kill, good kill. Hey, good kill. Apology, Justin. Out of the second one. Okay, Mister, let's head north. Head north. Okay. Port side, high. I'm coming down hard. Roger. Roger that. Just either going north. Let's go down low, out of deck, unload 500 knots. Let's get out of here. Make some good shoes.